Welcome to Mornings with Mike. Public Safety Today. Grab a coffee and sign up to receive your call-in information. Be a part of the show. For more information at any time, please visit www.tapsd.org. Now, let's get started with your host, Mike Pazesny. Good morning, folks. This is Mike with Public Safety. Today we've been talking about alcoholics, and this segment's going to be about family rules and alcoholic families and some other issues. what What are some of the rules that we have in these families? Well, first off, don't talk. Don't have problems. You know, we're all in denial of alcoholism. Uh, we are not an alcoholic family. Um, you know, your your problems as a kid just aren't recognized. Um, the the family problem, which is alcoholism, is not going to be discussed. So we don't have that problem here. So keep your mouth shut and don't talk about it. All right? That's the first rule. Next rule is don't trust. The single most important ingredient in any nurturing relationship is typically honesty, right? No child can trust or be expected to trust unless the people around them are open and are honest about their own feelings. One should never trust that parents will be there emotionally, psychologically, or physically if that child is a member of an addictive family because we're not supposed to have problems. We don't have problems. Don't talk about it. So then the child can't depend on the alcoholic uh, the enabling parent can't be dependent upon because they're so busy trying to meet the demands of the alcoholic that they're going to rationalize or deny that there's anything happening. So as a result of that, the child is taught not to trust other people because they have never learned to trust within their own family. What's part of being able to not have to worry about trusting anybody? Not feeling. So don't feel. Members of addictive families usually have a well-developed denial system uh, when it comes to feelings. Members learn in alcoholic families that if you vocalize fear or guilt or anger, what happens? You get shut down because that brings pain to the family. That's that's part of that not being able to acknowledge the fact that there's a problem in the family. So those feelings are shunted and submerged, and in the maladaptive roles that the family members then assume, they are experienced over and over again, and they don't go away until one gets older. And when that person gets older and they leave the addictive family of their origin and they begin to feel, then it can be a a real cathartic situation. They may decide not to feel. They may put those feelings aside. And what are they going to do? They're going to pick up the same maladaptive behaviors that allowed the feelings to be shunted when they were living in the family, which is use alcohol to cover them up, repress those feelings. Next family rule in an alcoholic family, don't behave differently. Any attempt to shift roles within the family is not allowed in an alcoholic family because that would screw the whole system up. And and people have to fill roles, they get vacated, and, and we don't have time for that. We're too busy either being alcoholics or covering up the fact we're alcoholics. So don't behave differently. Do what you're supposed to do and don't get out of line. All right? Next role, don't blame chemical dependency. If we assign blame to people and things and situations outside the family, well, then, you know, we'll have to worry about denial later for being a chemically dependent family. And although the the chemical addict may receive some judgment by the rest of the family, then, you know, the rest of the family can just believe that it's fate. Well, his dad was a drunk, so he's a drunk. It, it, there's nothing that he can do uh, about it. Uh, and so you just have to accept it. As a matter of fact, you might want to be careful because you'll probably be a drunk too. 
So it's not the alcohol. It's not the decision to use it. It's not chemical dependency. It just is. Next rule, do behave as I want. You know, the family has to behave as the alcoholic wants them to. Because if the family doesn't behave the way that the alcoholic wants them to, then the alcoholic can't continue to drink. So using different compliance techniques and threats and sanctions, um, the drunk then is able to maintain their power and control over the family. Maybe it's uh, the threats of withdrawing their love or withdrawing their money or just uh, abusing those people. But one way or the other, the drunk wants them to behave as they want them to. Uh, do be better and be more responsible. You know, no matter what the family attempts to do to compensate for the alcoholic, it will never be good enough. All the defense mechanisms of the alcoholic um, indicate that blame will be projected onto significant others to compensate for the alcoholic slide and incapacitization or their inability to achieve. And so they'll try to um, marginalize other people and then criticize them for what they haven't been able to do. Another family rule, don't have fun. Fun is drinking. You know, broken promises because of hangovers in regard to vacations and uh, going to ball games and all kinds of stuff. Um, all those things keep fun out of the family. Uh, don't allow friends to come in overnight or come in for birthday parties because we don't know what the alcoholic's going to do if you invite any friends over. So don't have any fun. Don't bring anybody over to the house. Don't have any sleepovers, uh, that kind of thing. So what happens when these kids grow up? What happens when they're the adult children of alcoholics, the ACOAs, all right? The, the ACOA movement, the Adult Children of Alcoholics movement, is based on what's called the damaged goods model. And the damaged goods model sees people as essentially passive and victims of their environment. And this victim status can give people who come into treatment with you lots of excuses for not doing what they need to in order to be able to move on to their lives. Uh, the problem with that movement, the damaged goods model that was used for a long time, is that it's not universally true. There's a lot of adult children of alcoholics who have had the resilience to have lived in an alcoholic family and then move on with their lives and do extremely well without becoming abusive uh, or alcoholics or, or anything else. There are a lot of ACOAs who have come out of very dysfunctional homes where no alcoholism uh, was present, and um, very little difference between the two groups when they're compared. So there, there is there is three facts that relate to ACOAs that tend to be accepted as being facts. The first one is that alcoholism runs in families. There might be generational skips, but alcoholism is usually found in the extended family of the alcoholic. And so those extended families need to be checked as part of the process of determining how much damage that alcoholic has actually done. Number two, children of alcoholics are on a higher risk of developing alcoholism than do children in the mainstream of the population. Males are four times as likely and females three times as likely as their peers from non-alcoholic families to become alcoholics as a result of being a child of an alcoholic. Males four times, females three times. That is a huge propensity for the potential for a person who to become an alcoholic. So if your 
parent or grandparent, let's say, was an alcoholic, and there appears as though there is a transmission of that through the family line, then it doesn't necessarily mean that you are an alcoholic, but that there might be a greater risk, and that should be addressed. Number three, children of alcoholics tend to marry alcoholics. Rarely do children of alcoholics go into the marriage game uh, with the knowledge that they are alcoholics, but it's something that happens over and over and over again. And you just can't deny the statistics that indicate that children of alcoholics tend to marry alcoholics. So those are the three facts that tend to relate to ACOAs. ACOAs may present themselves in transcrisis with problems to crisis interventionists, uh, so as a result of that, the crisis worker needs to try to assess the client's family of origin for the amount and the duration of drug use before making any kind of triage assessment decisions. You know, what, what are their feelings? Um, on reaching adulthood, the majority of the children of alcoholics continue to experience problems that relate to things like trust and control, expression of feelings because of the abbreviated ability to communicate that we discussed earlier. And there may be uh, there may be fears that the ACOA has that are episodic that are demonstrated through uh, high and low mood swings uh, that are experienced uh, as they kind of argue with themselves about what they're supposed to do as they work themselves through different levels of anger and frustration that they have. Um, because the ACOA as a child was not usually allowed to display anger because the anger was a lot of times repressed and and twisted because it gets distorted in the ACOA because as a child they have um, they don't have all the facts and they they don't have the intellectual understanding of things so they may have uh, distorted their understandings of what happened earlier in their history um, those feelings may manifest themselves in a lot of different mental and physical health problems that that the child may have as an adult. These may be um, validated in, in some kind of psychosomatic illness determination. They may have phobias, depression, nar narcissism, anxiety. They may have eating disorders to kind of compensate for the emptiness that they feel. Well, if I just fill myself up with enough food, then I'll feel better. And they do feel better because they get that carb rush. But what they're doing is they're building that up, and then they get angry with themselves because they ate, and, and it's a vicious cycle. A lot of the anger that comes out uh, does not come out in some kind of confrontational way, but just kind of sits there inside of them and continues to, to eat at them. And then a lot of these ACOA, ACOA females uh, will then tend to be very sensitive to imagined criticism or real criticism. Uh, males may have higher rates of anger, whether it be periodic or situational, where they just lose control. They have short fuses. And so that anger that sits both in males and females who are ACOAs is destructive to them in, in different ways based on you know, their upbringing and, and then the tools that they've been given to be able to deal with those things. Um, the effects of the roles of their childhood is, is very dynamic. The adaptive roles that ACOAs take on in childhood may follow them into adulthood. Uh, heroes a lot of times will become very responsible adults. Why? Because they're scared of losing control. They were in control while they were growing up. Uh, they don't want to lose that. That's a natural way of being for them. And so they'll work themselves into the ground if that's what it takes for them to feel as though they still have some control over their lives. They haven't had a lot of fun as children. Um, as a result of that, they may not know how to have a lot of fun as an adult. 
heroes have to be in charge. They have to stay, you know, one up. Um, they may stay in a in a position that is unequal in order to reinforce their own self concept. So, for the responsible ACOA, alcohol can remove the stress and the anxiety of always having to retain a rigid control. And as a result of that, they may find themselves using alcohol to self-medicate and make themselves feel better. The uh, lost child, that middle child, if they're an ACOA, uh, their life may be up and down and up and down. Uh, They may perceive themselves as not having many alternatives at all because the linear thinking that they need to apply as an adult, they couldn't really apply as a child because of the variables that they found both in front of them and behind them. A lot of times they haven't had to make a lot of decisions. They just kind of adjusted to the changing conditions that they lived in. So um, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll find a mate who uh, will be a representation of the childhood experiences that they had, and that mate then will provide them with the direction that they need. Uh, because that way they don't have to make their own decisions. They don't have to be responsible for them. They don't have to be accountable for them. A lot of times they'll be lonely or depressed or isolated in some way. And then the problem begins to manifest itself in alcohol consumption, which then gives them a false sense of power and control in their lives. And all of a sudden now what they're doing is they're repeating the same mistakes as their older adults did. Those family mascots that we talked about, are experienced by others as being real nice people. They grow up to be adults. They, they, you know, they try to please other people. They divert a lot of attention away from themselves because if they had attention on them, they would have to deal with their own pains. Um, but these ACOAs who've been the family mascots have lost a lot of times the ability to take care of themselves and their own needs. Chemical dependents are perfect marriage partners for these kinds of people because what they can do then is to continue that supportive role that they perfected, you know, that good time Charlie role they perfected in their own alcoholic family of origin, and they can displace those same kind of emotions uh, onto this person that they now are uh, acting as a comic placator for as an adult. And, uh, The psychosomatic version of this placator as an adult may draw sympathy and attention, but never focus on any issues of change that would allow them to have a more fulfilling and productive life. They continue as an adult to always have problems. This is your drama king or drama queen, and and they just don't seem to ever kind of get their act together. Uh, So they then become enablers if they're involved in a relationship because this this um, person that they're involved with, if they are alcohol dependent, starts drinking because they're saddled with this uh, this placator who is an enabler for them by always having drama brought into the relationship and always uh, succeeding and failing and therefore being an excuse for this person to be able to um, self-administer. So when we take a look at different diagnoses and different uh, intervention strategies, um, we will probably be finishing things up with what is credited to Prochaska. If you get involved in alcoholic counseling at all, uh, Prochaska has different stages that people move through. 
And uh, those stages, uh, treatment stages that the therapist typically uses is something as a crisis interventionist that you need to understand. So we're going to go ahead and take this quick break about two minutes early so that we can move into uh, Prochaska's uh, six stages of alcohol treatment and explain each one of those to you because these are critical to understand what happens in the world of the alcoholic after the crisis intervention and into the counseling regimen that they're going to be following. So don't go away. We'll be right back. You are listening to the American Public Safety Training Institute. You may have a degree, but do you have what it takes? Online and field training available now from TAPSTE. Get the skills from the best trainers in America. Find out how at www.tapste.org. Get your foot in the door by earning your certificate now. 